sermon text. Genesis 21. This is God's Word. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water and the skin was used up. And she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bowshot. For she said to herself, Let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you've dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it till today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore he called that place Beersheba because the two of them swore an oath there. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. 
So Abimelech rose with Phicol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and they are called in the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. Our New Testament text, Romans 9, 1-13. Romans 9, 1 through 13. I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying, my conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I have hated. That sends the reading of God's holy word. Will you pray with me? Lord, you are truth itself, and every word you speak is true unfailingly and infallibly true. Lord, we pray that you would show us now that truth, teach us that truth. We pray you take it and write it on our hearts. Father, we confess that you are the great and true and living God. And we depend on your word. We hang on your promise, your word which cannot fail and which will not return to you empty. Lord, we pray that your word would have its good effect in us now according to the grace that you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God keeps his word. God keeps his promise. Every promise. That is the point of Genesis 21. God keeps every promise that he makes. Is, is there a more... Um, foundational truth for us to hang on to than that, for us to build our lives on than that. We're, we're constantly tempted to think otherwise. Um, we're, we're in the gap. We've, we've been saying we're in the gap between God giving the promise and God fulfilling the promise. We, we've seen a lot of fulfillment in Christ, but we're waiting for so much more to come. And we're living in this, this space between when God has said, this is what I'm going to do, and we're waiting for him to do it. And, and, and so th this, is the, this, this is the question. This is the tension. This is the struggle of faith. Is God dependable? Is he going to keep his word? I, is he going to, to prove trustworthy? Or is he just going to disappoint me in the end? Am I going to come to the end and find it was all empty? 
um, that he didn't keep his word. The life of Abraham is a study in, in this, right? Not, not just Genesis 21, really the whole life of Abraham we can look at as a study of this. The, the, the trustworthiness of God. That he's the promise maker and he's the promise keeper. Um, th- this is the tension that drives the drama of, this, of, of Abraham's story. God makes the promise. Is God going to keep the promise? Is Abraham going to trust him to keep the promise? Or is he going to throw up his hand and say, no, it's taking too long and walk away? Um, Doubt, doubt the Lord. Um, most of Abraham's life is lived out in the waiting room of the promises of God. Waiting on the Lord for those promises to be fulfilled. But now in chapter 21, we get sweet assurance. We get fulfillment at last for Abraham in various ways. Uh, God showing, yes, I keep my word. I keep the promises that I make. Um, proving worthy of Abraham's trust and proving worthy of your trust as well. That the same God who made the promises to Abraham and has made so many great and precious promises in Christ to you is, is the one who will keep those promises. Uh, three times over in the story here, um, driving the point home to our doubting hearts, we see that God, God keeps his word. God keeps his promises. We get three vignettes, three stories. So the first two are a little more closely related. The last one doesn't seem as closely related, but it is. Um, but in these three sections of the chapter, we see three times over God keeping his word. So this is what I want to do. I want to walk through these things and, and look at how we see God keeping, God keeping his word in, these, in, in, in this chapter with you tonight. The first heading, then, is God keeps his word to give Abraham a son. This is what we see in verses 1 through 7. Um, God, God keeps his word to give Abraham a son. The chapter begins with this emphasis, and it's crystal clear. Verse 1, you can see it there for yourself. It says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. The emphasis is clear, isn't it? Um, it's, it's clear. It, uh, you can't miss it. It's even clearer in, in the Hebrew. Um, Hebrew word order typically starts with the verb as the first word in the sentence. But sometimes if you want to emphasize something, you, you switch that order up. Um, and you can stick a noun first. You can put the subject of the sentence first. And, and that's, what the, uh, that's what the author here, that's what Moses does here in, in verse 1. The first word in the sentence is Yahweh. The Lord, the covenant God, the promising and promise-keeping God. The Lord, the I Am. It starts with that, and then it moves into saying He keeps His promises, and it tells us, tells us twice that He has done exactly what He said He would do. And then we get it a third time in verse 2, again told that the Lord is the one who keeps His promise. Um, verse 2 says, For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. So right off the bat, two verses, three times over we've heard, it happened exactly the way God said. Exactly the way God said. Every promise he makes, he keeps. At the heart of, of God's uh, covenant with Abraham is this promise of a son, and that's, that's what we're seeing fulfilled here. Um, in his initial call to Abraham, God says that he promises that he's going to make him a great nation, which implies having, having children. Uh, God makes this promise again in chapter 17, uh, excuse me, chapter 15 and chapter 17, telling him that he will have a son. Um, uh, Abraham struggles to believe this. His wife, Sarah, is barren. She can't have children. 
She's, she, she couldn't when she was younger, and now she's too old to anyway. This is an impossible promise, humanly speaking. And they're getting older and older, and it's been 25 years now since God made that promise back in chapter 12. Um, but now God keeps His promise. Finally, after all these years. I, I want to look here, as we, as we look at these first few verses of this story, um, at, at particularly who, who this promise is for. Of course, God's promise all along has been particularly for Abraham, right? His covenants with Abraham. He speaks to Abraham, meets with Abraham. But notice in verse 1 and 2, we might expect the emphasis here to be God keeping his word to Abraham to give a son, which of course is true. But the, the, the author really focuses our attention on Sarah. Um, notice the emphasis, right? God is, God is fulfilling a promise to Sarah as well. Why, 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 why is this? Why draw our attention particularly to this, that it's Sarah uh, in, in view? Well, remember chapter 19, several weeks ago, God comes, he meets with Abraham and Sarah. He says, in a year's time, Sarah's going to have a son. And what does Sarah do? She laughs, right? In disbelief, right? She knows this promise. They've, they've, it's been 24 years at that point. They've had this promise, but she, she laughs, right? Really? Yeah, I've, I've heard it before. No, I don't think it's really going to happen. She, she laughs at it. Still doesn't seem to believe. How does the Lord respond? There in chapter 19, he's gracious towards her. He, reassure, he rebukes her gently uh, uh, for disbelieving, um, he says to effect in chapter 19, the really incredible thing is not to believe in a God like me. Um, but he's gentle with her. But then here in chapter 21, as we see the fulfillment of the promise at last, we have it zoomed in on Sarah, doubting Sarah. God keeping his promise to her. It's, uh, it's telling us that God's promises don't depend on us. Um, they don't depend on our faith. They don't depend on our works. The covenant doesn't rest on our shoulders. Um, it doesn't depend on, on us and what we do. He's the sovereign God of grace. He makes this covenant with whomever He will. And He binds Himself by His grace to keep that covenant. And He'll do it. He'll uphold it by His grace. The covenant of grace isn't a 50-50 agreement. It's not even a 90%, 10% agreement or a 99%, 1%, right? It's all on him. He makes his promise to doubting sinners. And he keeps his promise to doubting sinners. It all depends on his grace. That's what we're seeing here is in this, in this fulfillment to, to Sarah. Um, we, we see this, of course, here in the text, but we also see it so much more clearly um, in, in our Lord Jesus Christ. That, that God sends our Lord Jesus to be the mediator of this covenant of grace that He's made with us. Uh, and as He makes this covenant with us, in Christ, he does, not, he does not call us to be the mediator of the covenant ourselves. doesn't call us to pay the price for our sins or get righteousness for ourselves so that we can be fit to be in this covenant, this relationship with Him. Um, he doesn't require us to earn our adoption or to sanctify ourselves or to persevere by ourselves. We couldn't do any of that. Instead of, of that, he sends Jesus Christ. And the whole weight of the covenant rests on his shoulders. 
He perseveres. He keeps the covenant. He's faithful. And so we can come freely by His grace, simply receiving what Christ has done, even as Abraham and Sarah are doing here, resting on the foundation of God's promise, which is not me, but Him. His promise, His Word, and His Son that He's provided. Brothers and sisters, have you, um, have, you, have you learned that for yourself? That the covenant doesn't rest on your shoulders? That God's promise to you does not rest on your shoulders, but on His? On Christ and what He's done for you and then God's unchanging love for you? His faithfulness to you? When you, when you recognize that, it um, brings such joy and such relief and, and, and such, and such uh, refreshment in His grace. We see Abraham and Sarah responding here uh, in this same way. They, 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 they see God, God fulfills the promise and they are, uh, they're overwhelmed with joy and thankfulness and trust. Um, God keeps His word. He gives them the, the, the son he's promised them, and they respond with, with trust and with thanksgiving and with joy. Um, we, we see them name their son Isaac. Um, it's an interesting name. Um, God chose this name. Um, they didn't choose it for, for, for him. God, God himself, back in chapter 17, God promises Abraham a son. Abraham is the one to laugh there in chapter 17. Uh, and God says, well, you're going to name your son Isaac, which means he laughs. Um, uh, uh, as, a, as a reminder of this, um, chapter 18, uh, uh, we, we see Sarah laughs at the promise. So there's all this laughter, right? This disbelieving laughter, this promise. Um, but now, as they name their son Isaac, God, what's he doing? He's transforming the laughter of unbelief into the laughter of joy and, and thankfulness and faith and trust. Um, look at verse 6 with me. Sarah says, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. What kind of laughter? Not, not ridicule, but joy, amazement. Um, th- th- think of Sarah. Her whole life, barren, couldn't have a child. Uh, what grief that must have been, and especially the, the stigma in that culture of not being able to, to bear children. Um, and, and, and she's waited, and often, often doubtfully, but now at last she has a son by the hand of God himself. And um, her, her heart, which for so many years had its hopes dashed and, and delayed, finally now God has kept his word, and she's just overwhelmed with too-good-to-be-true joy, full of laughter and delight in her son. So they call him Isaac. It's a perfect name. Um, because uh, it, it reminds them of, of, of how they sinned in the past, how God forgave them, how he's fulfilled his word, and the joy that this son is for them. His very name is a monument to the grace of God at, at work in them. So they name him Isaac, and they, they circumcise him on the eighth day. Um, circumcision marks, marks Isaac out as part of God's covenant family. Um, it also is a reminder of God's promise to continue the covenant that he's made, right, from generation to generation. Um, th- this son Isaac is not just, um, th- th- the story here is not just about Abraham and Sarah as, as private people, as, as one family, one, one husband, one wife, and their individual grief and God's uh, ministering to them. Of course, that's included, but, but this, th- th- there's a bigger picture here, isn't there? This is about God's covenant promise, this is about Genesis 
where God says to uh, uh, to, to Adam and Eve that they're going to have a son, that there's going to be a seed of the woman someday born to be the one who saves God's people, uh, saves them from Satan, and brings them out of their exile. Right, so, so there's that promise in Genesis 3.15 and that, that generation by generation, God's keeping His promise, keeping His promise. And now with Abraham, Isaac is born at last. This one who is a promise of the Savior who will come. The Son who will, who will come. Uh, so Sarah's joy and Abraham's joy in the birth of Isaac. Their, their, their delightful laughter that at last the promised Son is here is a miniature of the joy of God's people when the Son is born. When, when the Son comes, when, when Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, is born. Um, so many years of waiting, right? How much time from Genesis 3.15 when the promise of the Son to be born is made and then all those generations of God's people waiting on that promise and then the joy dawning when He's born. And when the Savior comes, uh, weeping is turned into laughter. Um, we are living then in, in, this, in this strange time, aren't we? Um, because we've seen the Son born. Jesus, the Savior, the promised Son has been born. The greater Isaac um, to save us from our sins. And we're, we're, we're delighting in that. We're living in the time of laughter and rejoicing that He's been born. But we're also living in the time of waiting as well. Longing. Because that son needs to finish what he's begun. And he's going to return. And one day, bring us fully, constantly out of our exile and into the presence of God. This, this is the promise here, loved ones, uh, for us. That as surely as God brought Sarah and Abraham to joy after years of waiting, so will he bring us out of our grief, out of our longing, and into the eternal joy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sarah's joy is the promise of our joy. Isaac is the promise of Christ. It's a promise that God kept with Isaac, a promise he kept by sending Jesus the first time, and a promise he will just as surely keep when Christ returns. So we wait on him in our grief, in our longing. We keep waiting, trusting his promise, trusting that Laughter is coming. Joy is coming in, in, in Christ. So we see God fulfill this promise. That's, that's, that's the first thing we see here in the, in the text. The second part of the story here um, is, is this. God keeps his word to keep Isaac and bless Hagar and Ishmael. I know that's a long heading. It's not one you're going to remember, but that's the best I could do. Anyway, God keeps his word to, Isaac, to, to keep Isaac and bless Hagar and Ishmael, verses 8 to 21. The promise-keeping continues as the story goes on. Um, the chapter continues. We see God's grace continue. We see His promises continue. Um, two aspects of God fulfilling His promise that we see in this next section of the story. Um, first of all, we see God promising to protect Isaac and, and, and acting to protect Isaac. Um, God promised them a son. He is promising also to protect that son, to keep that son, make sure that son survives and is blessed as, as Abraham's heir. Um, in, ver in verse 8, um, it, it's Isaac's weaning day. He's probably now around three years old, and they're having a feast to celebrate this transition from that dangerous period of, uh, of being an infant to now, now, he's, now he's a toddler, now he's a little boy. Um, and there's more laughter. 
The family is rejoicing in God's goodness. They're having a feast, but, but there's some more laughter. And this time, the laughter is a little bit different than we saw already. Um, this time, it's not the laughter of delight and wonder and thanksgiving. This time, it's the laughter of mockery and derision and, and, and scorn, scoffing. Um, it's, it's malicious. It's malevolent. We see Ishmael here. Um, the son whom Abraham had with Hagar uh, um, uh, some time ago. He's probably now in early teens. Um, he, he, he's there, and, and he's scoffing. And we shouldn't just write this off, perhaps as, as we might think, as um, just you know, one brother laughing at his other at his little brother, uh, one brother making fun of his little brother. Uh, there's something more going on here than that. He is he is scoffing at the son of promise. He is mocking God's fulfillment. He's mocking God's plan, mocking God Himself through this. Um, Scoffing is a characteristic mark in the Bible of the wicked. Think of Psalm 1. Um, um, there, there are those three things, right? Uh, they're, they're, they're the wicked, they're the sinners, and then there's the scoffers. Um, the, the, those three, the opening verses of Psalm 1. And so the, the, the one who scoffs is the one who does not believe what God has to say, rejects what God has to say uh, completely, completely. Um, so Ishmael, what's he doing? He's, he's taking the path of the wicked. He's Abraham's son by blood, but not spiritually. He, he's become, by his unbelief and his rebellion, he, he's become part of the seed of the serpent as he mocks and persecutes the seed of the woman, the line of promise here through Isaac. Um, he's, uh, um, of course, he's jealous, isn't he? Isaac's going to be the heir. Isaac's going to get the inheritance. Isaac's going to get the blessing. Isaac's getting all the attention. Um, but but he's, not, he's not willing to submit to God's providence and plan. He's not willing to repent and trust in the Lord's provision and trust in the Lord's grace um, and, and accept his own place. Um, he, so he becomes the enemy and the persecutor of the people of God here. Sarah sees this, sees him doing this to her son Isaac and she asks Abraham that he send Hagar and, and Ishmael away. Um, Abraham's distressed by this. He's upset by this. He loves Ishmael. He is his son, after all. Um, and uh, he doesn't want to do this. Perhaps he wants to keep him around even as a backup plan in case something goes wrong with Isaac. Uh, maybe Isaac gets sick and doesn't make it one day. And we still got Ishmael to, be the, to carry on the line. Um, but the Lord tells Abraham, no, Sarah's right. Listen to your wife. Uh, do what she says in this case. And, um, uh, and Sarah is right. If Ishmael stays, he's going to continue to be a threat to, uh, to the line of promise, to Isaac and, and, and this son. So God tells Abraham to send Hagar and Ishmael away in order to protect the godly line. God is keeping his word through keeping this son, protecting, preserving him. Um, there's an illustration that we see in this passage of a spiritual reality that we should take to heart as, as we consider this. Paul, in Galatians 4, 21 to 31, picks up on, on this, what's going on here, and he draws out this spiritual application for us. He compares Hagar and her son Ishmael to um, those who live by works, not, not by faith. Those who, by their own good works, try to earn a place in God's family. She and Ishmael are, are part of the visible family of Abraham. They're, they're, they're sort of included in the blessing. Outwardly, they receive aspects of God's blessing. 
But they're not spiritually part of the family because, because they're depending on their works, not on the grace of God. They're not repenting and walking in faith. Um, um, they're, they're only there contingently on their own works. As soon as one of them messes up, they're out of the covenant. Um, they're not depending on God's grace. Um, their works are a flimsy foundation for them. But with Sarah and with her son, right, they're secure. They're secure because they're resting on the grace of God. They can't be cast out of the covenant because they've, they've, been, they've been laid hold of spiritually by God and they're resting on His grace. And, and, and they're in the covenant not because of what they do, but because of the grace of God. The lesson is, if you rely on your own righteousness as the foundation of your place in God's family, your own good works as the reason why you can stay with Him, then you're going to, you're going to fail and you're going to be cast out. Unless like, uh, like Sarah and like Isaac, you don't rely on yourself but on the gracious promise of God. If you, if you don't scoff, don't mock His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't scoff at the incredible salvation of a son born of a virgin and who was crucified to save us from our sins. Right? Don't scoff, but love and accept that son for your place in the covenant family to be secure. You'll never be cast out as long as you're resting in that son. So God, God protects the line of promise here. But God does not only fulfill His promise here by protecting Isaac from persecution. He also encourages Abraham here that with this promise that he'll take care of Hagar and Ishmael. Um, he knows that Ishmael is, is Abraham's son. And so he promises also to make a great nation of Ishmael, to bless him and keep him because of Abraham. And so even as Hagar and her son are forced to leave the covenant family, they still share some of God's covenant blessings. Abraham responds with faith and obedience uh, we see this mark in his life. God commands him, even if it's something hard, he gets up early and he doesn't. Uh, he gets up early here the next morning. Um, verse 14 says that he, uh, he sends Hagar away. He gives her bread. He gives her the skin of water. Probably would hold about three pounds of water. Uh, excuse me, three gallons of water. So what, notice what's lacking. There's no inheritance. No, 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 no blessing. Just, just enough to get, hopefully, to the next water source. Uh, just enough to survive. Um, because the inheritance belongs to Isaac. And then he, he bids goodbye uh, to his son and gives him into Hagar's care. They wander in the wilderness. Soon the water's gone. Um, Hagar gives up. She can't find water. Uh, she puts her son Ishmael uh, under a shrub, uh, trying to give him a little shade out of the scorching heat of the desert. And then she walks away because she can't bear to hear his cries. Um, and then she sits down and she cries out as well. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pathetic scene. It's a tragic scene in so many ways. Uh, um, they're not innocent, are they? They've, they've rejected the Lord. They, they've rejected His covenant promise. They've rejected the covenant Son. Um, but, but, but still, we sympathize, don't we? With their pain and their, and their, and their suffering in this instance. Uh, who, who's going to hear them now? They've just mocked God and His promises. And they've left the covenant family. But God promised something for them. They've been here before, haven't they? Another time in Hagar's life, she ran away. Um, Genesis 16. 
She's pregnant with Ishmael back then. She runs away because she's been being persecuted herself by, by her mistress. She runs away, and God comes to her, and he makes a promise to her that, she's, she'll, that she'll live, that, 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 she'll, that she'll have a son, and that he'll be made a great nation as well, that, that even her son will receive a blessing. And, and now here they are. It's happening again. They're in the wilderness, and God appears again. Gracious to them. Still gracious to them, even after all they've done. Verse 20 says, God was with the lad. Um, God, God remains with him. He comes through the angel of the Lord. He shows Hagar where this well is. This, it opens her eyes to see this well. And they live. They survive. He says he hears their cry. And then it says God is with him. Now, maybe he's outside the covenant family. Um, maybe, maybe his line is, is becoming part of the seed of the serpent, opposed to the seed of the woman, um, persecuting and attacking the line of promise. But, but God's grace is still at work. His grace is still at work. It's still extending to them for Abraham's sake to bless them, keep them, and protect them. He's keeping his promise. Again, and loved ones, if he keeps his promise, the rebellious son of the slave woman, then surely he'll keep his promise to his people in Christ. The third promise kept we see is in the last section of the story here, verses 23 to 34. Excuse me, 22 to 34. Uh, this is uh, God keeping his word to give Abraham the promised land. God keeps his word to give Abraham the promised land. Third scene here uh, confirms for a third time God is the God who keeps his word, that every word he speaks comes to pass. Um, this time the promise isn't about the son who would come. Now it's about the land. We get this, we get this scene with Abimelech. Right? He's the king in the area, the, the, local, the local king. Uh, he comes to Abraham to make a covenant with him. It's interesting. Abimelech comes with, his, with the commander of his army with him. Um, Abraham is in the position of power. Uh, Abraham is, 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 the, is the higher of the two. Um, Abimelech feels this need that he needs to come and guarantee from Abraham that, that, that you'll keep us safe. That, that you won't harm us. Because he knows, as he, as, as he says there, that, uh, that uh, God is with you. Um, he recognizes God's unique blessing on Abraham. Even though Abraham doesn't own an inch of this land, he's just a sojourner. He sees God's blessing on him and he knows uh, that, uh, that uh, Abraham is, is above him. Um, so he comes and he asks to show him, he asks, he asks Abraham to guarantee um, uh, kindness to him and to his posterity. Abraham agrees, and then he asks for uh, a covenant of his own with Abimelech. He says, now Abimelech, there's this well. Your, some of your servants have, have taken one of the wells that I dug. And uh, he asks for Abimelech to, to give it back, and he gives him a gift as a guarantee that this, that this is his well. He gives Abimelech this, this gift to say, this really is my well. Um, I, I did dig it. Here's, here's the, the, the guarantee of that. I'm going to give you um, this gift of sheep and oxen and seven ewe lambs. Um, so they make this agreement here. Um, but what we're seeing here is not just a covenant between Abimelech and Abraham and uh, some, some obscure well that there is a tussle over, um, but, but really a, a shadow of fulfillment from God himself and his promise and his covenant. Um, God is blessing him in the land of pagan kings. Um, and, and he's giving him a sliver, just a little taste of the fulfillment of this promised land. Um, he, Abraham's still a sojourner. He doesn't really own the land here, but, but this is his well. 
And it's a sign that God is going to provide life, water, right? So important in that culture, um, uh, in, that, in, that, in that dry climate. He's going to provide for them and provide for his posterity. It's a sign that the full inheritance is coming. Abraham's not going to see this promise really fulfilled, but he's getting a taste uh, to remind him of, of the fulfillment that will one day come. So as the chapter ends, Abraham has a taste of the fulfillment that's coming. He has a son, as God promised, a son that is pointing him to this greater son who will come to be the Savior. God is true. He keeps his promise to Abraham of the son, and he also has a well. God is faithful. God is true. It's peace of the promised land to come. Um, and so Abraham is, is encouraged here. He has this great confidence that God who has fulfilled his promises to me in these partial ways, will fulfill his promises to me in full, in every detail, to their, to their, to their greatest extent, in all their glory. After all this, what does Abraham do in response? He plants a tree in this place and he calls on the name of the Lord. He calls the Lord the everlasting God. It's a fitting name looking at how God is the one who has made the promise and who does not change. He's the God today. He'll be the God tomorrow. Generation after generation after generation, the same. Uh, The God who makes a promise and keeps a promise. As we read in Romans 9, it's not as though the word of God has failed. He's the eternal and everlasting God. His sovereign purpose cannot be broken. His sovereign grace stands and every promise is sure. Brothers and sisters, um, oftentimes our circumstances argue loudly against what we're reading here and seeing here, don't they? Um, Difficulties come up as we live in the gap between promise and fulfillment. Pain and suffering and grief and the long wait, right? And it can be hard to trust the promises of God. But when we, like Abraham, lift up our eyes and we see by faith who God is, Everlasting God. Promise-making and promise-keeping. And we see it there most of all in our Lord Jesus Christ. The whole weight of the covenant on Him, guaranteeing for us, He's our God forever. He'll keep every word He's spoken. Stay your hearts there. Fix your eyes there. Keep your faith there in Him. He will not take back a word he said. He won't change a word that he said. He cannot change. It's who he is. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all that you've shown us in your word and in the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus. We thank you that we look forward to the day when the faith is made sight and the promise is all fulfillment and everlasting joy is ours. Lord, strengthen us in our sojourning, our earthly pilgrimage till then. Help us, Lord, to stake all our faith on you, the promise-keeping God. In Jesus' name, amen.